You are listening to CivCast on the Kyle Dempster Studios Network. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com backslash CivCast. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to a new episode of CivCast. My name is Kyle, and I'm joined by my co-host, as always, Dan. Hello, Dan. Hi, Kyle. You say as always, but I mean, last time we had Wouter, who was kind enough to cover for me, which was awesome. So I wanted to give him a quick shout out and thank you for uh, taking care of the co-host seat while I was uh, while I was sick there. That is very true. Big thanks to Wouter. We, uh, we've had a little bit of a sporadic January, but I think as we were just talking about off air, it has been truly crazy in every way, shape and form. I mean, Dan, you were sick, so you were out. I think that was two weeks ago. Last week, I was traveling to um, do some apartment scouting. All good good results there, but still, you know, it put us off a week with a show. And then on top of that, um, the world's kind of collapsing around us, so it would seem. Not to, you know, take this in an overly political bent, but um, just, just check out your general news and you'll see that uh, Trump is slowly crushing our country. Or quickly, I can't tell. I haven't noticed. Well, what is this that you are talking about, Kyle? Please regale me with hours worth of stories. Oh, talk about banning refugees, banning people with green cards, um, telling our government agencies that they can't talk freely with the press. You know, not nothing that would insinuate any sort of top-down leadership approach that's clearly failed in the past, but I don't know. Who knew? I mean, not even Orwell could have predicted that in the year 2016, the resistance would be led by National Park Service Board Twitter accounts. <laughs> I think Orwell might have missed that one in 1984. I but. mean, it's a small one. You wouldn't have seen that one coming. So uh, here's to our alt alt Twitter accounts that are speaking the truth today. Um, yeah. yeah. It, it, it is what it is. We will steer it away from politics as best we can, folks, because we know that... <laughs> God knows that if you want information on that, it's not hard to find right now elsewhere. Right. Nor is that in our our subject line. But actually, I think it's going to tie into a little bit of our conversation here towards the end. Believe me, we're not going to make this overly political. I get it. Podcasts can easily be an escape from the real world. So let's make it that. But then maybe let's tackle this right off the bat. Dan, you brought this up and validated something I wasn't even paying attention to. And that is that we've got a lot less chatter, it would seem, about Civ6 going on on Reddit and the such. And my immediate reaction to that is probably because these people are looking out the window, watching the world burn in real life, saying, uh, maybe I should write it about Civ 6 next week if I'm still here. Um, <laughs> they might not be, you know, you never know who's going to uh, leave next. Yeah. Well, I think that we've discussed this many times. I think that the people who play Civ tend to be pretty, um, and this is going to sound really obnoxious or elitist, but whatever. I mean, we can pat ourselves in the back. The people who play Civ tend to be pretty, um, you know, advanced gamers, you know, smarter people, working professionals, students, people with, um, you know, uh, a passion for this kind of thing. So in that respect, I would assume that a lot of people who play Civ are probably, you know, engaged citizens and um, engaged members of their community. And so certainly if you are American and hell, even if you're not, because I'm not, and goodness knows that I've had, you know, it turned on to CNN for pretty nonstop for the past two weeks, just because how could you not? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, um, You know, if you're an engaged citizen, you've probably been, you know, steering your 
uh, free energies elsewhere and away from the world of uh, Civ 6. Perhaps you feel like the uh, problems that are apparent in the game right now pale in comparison to those that you might observe in the world around you and therefore are kind of you know, um, investing your energies elsewhere. And that would be completely understandable. I'm sure that uh, once some of this stuff hopefully dies down or I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. know. I don't think think people even, some people don't even want it to die down. So perhaps I shouldn't say that. But when people are permitted um, the ability to, you know, return their attentions to their normal lives um, and their normal day-to-day functioning, maybe they can get back to uh, focusing on complaining about lack of mod support and lack of... You know, this and that in the game or whatever. I guess we could even say, um, I, I guess maybe I feel a little disappointed that, though, how do I want to say this? I feel disappointed that we're going away from the game in general, but with a negative note. Like, it kind of sucks that we are moving towards, obviously we have more important things going on in the real world, for sure. It just is sad to me that we're not walking away from Civ Six as happy, it seems. You know, uh, that right before people seem to depart from Reddit and all these other services to deal with their real-life problems, um, it just kind of seems that we're left with this uh, fever pitch of complaints about how, you know, Team Multiplayer never showed up, uh, the Steam Workshop is still TBD, and modding tools are not in our hands. And unfortunately for... for, for unfortunately for Firaxis, it's a mouthful... Uh, and, you know, I'm always touting them in, in good favor, and I, I still don't mean this in, you know, that mean of a way, but they, in their latest live stream this week, gave us a very bland band-aid to it by saying, hey, we recognize that Team Multiplayer, Steam Workshop, and modding tools are all things you guys want. Don't worry, they're coming. Uh, specifically, they said, we hear you, definitely. And it's like, well, that's cool. I get that you hear me. I actually like that you guys are paying attention to our biggest, you know, wants for this game. But at the same time, that came with no timeline as to when it's going to be implemented. And I guess I put it out to the listeners, you know, is that, is that good enough for you? Uh, in some ways, in some ways I'm happy just to be heard period, because a lot of game companies don't seem to be listening on the other turn, still no date for it. So does that mean any time before summer? Does that mean it might come in, in, in summer? I have no idea. We're left empty-handed. Yeah, I mean, I think that one thing that we have talked about is making sure that we don't compare directly what's happening in Civ Six right now to the state of Civilization Five. And I know that mm-hmm. a lot of people uh, in the community and, and on Reddit or wherever have been talking about how they've jumped back into Civ Five, which is great because Civ Five's a you know a fantastic and complete game, but. You know, Civ Five at this point in its dev cycle, so early on, keeping in mind, what are we at? Three months? Three months since release, I think? Oh, let's see. Yeah, it was October 21st the game was launched, so... Three months. Three, three months. months, almost exactly. I mean, it's the 29th of February, or January, jeez. 29th of January, <laughs> not skipping ahead just yet. Three, Yeah, three months into the dev cycle, and let's let's lay out the, the bare facts on it. We've had two significant patches... We've had DLC, which includes one new civilization, um, which was great, and then some scenario-related stuff, which was, um, we'll call it controversial, Yeah, I guess. Um, That's a good place for it. (laughs) Yeah. In the controversial category. Yeah. Um, But, you know, we've had that. We've we've had two two significant updates. We've had a new Civ, um, and at three months' worth of a dev cycle for a game, 
Um, I actually think that's quite good. Uh, you know, this isn't this isn't a game like you know an Overwatch or a League of Legends where you need to hot patch every um, other day because something gets um, out of hand or you know whatever. Um, you patch in accordance with when you're trying to make you know overarching improvements to the game. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, I think that Fraxis has done a good job. I am confused, as I think most people are, as to why they haven't um, rolled out the Steam Workshop because that's just to me it just, just seems such an easy. And uh, I don't know, hands-off way for them to get people in the community more jacked up and more involved in the game. Like I feel like that—that that they're kind of um, you know trying to punch with one hand tied behind their back right now by having that not enabled. Because if you have it enabled, you right. get the community to do a lot of work for you, right? Yeah, I mean that's—I I would argue that so many of these games survive these days, um, meaning not subscription-based games. These these one-time purchases, like like a sieve. Uh, they survive so much longer than they used to solely because the modders can go in there and have a free-for-all, and it breathes new life into the game. And I think we've seen even in the past, and and I don't have factual data to back this up, but I think that you could even argue that modding workshops have potentially even encouraged uh, developers to go back to games that they had almost neglected or hadn't put a patch to in a while. You know, it can mm. sometimes be this, you know, this cry. I mean, look at... Um, Look at like Skyrim and Elder Scrolls, for example. That game went to, you know, a huge effort of the modding community. They made it look beautiful. They did tons of mods for years because that was a 2011 release. And then in 2016, they decided to remaster the game and throw it out there for official sale. That's an mm-hmm. interesting concept. Would they have done that had there not been five, six years worth of modding support done to it with, you know, clamoring uh, players still wanting to jump into it? I don't know. You could maybe argue that that sales approach was thanks to the modding community. Um, so, Siv, let's have a little talk here because, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of modders out there that are actively modding for this game and they're putting it up on um, Civ Fanatics and things like that. Uh, I think that that Nexus website's also hosting some mods. But our modders are, they have their hands tied too because these tools would seemingly already exist in Fraxis's control, right? You know, they, these are these are tools similar to how they built the game. They just probably need a bit of a friendlier face to them. Well, it's, you know, making our modders have a lot harder of a time, but thankfully they're still doing it, I guess, right? Have you played with any of these mods, Dan? No, I haven't. I mean, I, full disclosure, the, the only mods, I think we've talked about this, that I generally use are like aesthetic or map or UI based mods. And I just haven't found any need to download or apply any of them yet. But certainly sure. the thing is, too, is that is that I don't and this sounds silly, but I don't really have the time nor the desire to like actively kind of seek them out and seek out how to directly apply them. The thing that makes Steam Workshop so useful is how it's one click mod support. Right. And for yeah. someone who's you know, a lazy, lazy dummy like me, um, I can just, you know, oh, look at that. That's a whatever, a, a, a color-based mod, whatever. I'll click it and it'll be applied. And I, you know, have done basically nothing and it's improved my game experience. And other games that I've played, other strategy games that I've played, Civ Five 
that was something that I did that was super beneficial just because it was easy. And so I guess long way to a short answer is no, I haven't sought out any of these mods and perhaps I should because I know that the community makes some fantastic ones. I mean, I, yeah, I have to say so far I've picked up some basic necessity ones as I'm calling them like the production queue being reintroduced to the game. That's a really solid mod. I've talked it up a couple mm -hmm. times on the show here, but like, so I've jumped for things like that, but you're totally right. Uh, there are some mods that I wanted to play with that for whatever reason, I could not get them working. It's, it's fairly simple in truth. You just download the file and then there's uh, somewhere in your my documents, you throw the folder or file in there and you're off to the races. But for one mod, and this was a month or so back, maybe more, and, and so I don't remember it by name, but it just didn't work. For whatever reason, it did not show up in the enable mod section when I had launched the game. And to your own point, I did not feel like trying to sort out what was wrong with it. Uh, you know, I gave it maybe a half an hour of my time and then moved on. Um, but that's something that, you know, we'd hope that with the official modding support is uh, is resolved or made easier. And then I, I we're gonna we're gonna touch on some other news here in a minute, but I, I do want to kind of talk about this. And I, I couldn't find the article or the Reddit post that I used to get this info. So do your own uh, fact checking out there, everyone. But I saw a post. I think it was on Reddit. Could be wrong because I couldn't easily refind it today. Uh, but it showed Firaxis's. Um, Steam store page for Civ 6 and it looked as if they had removed some of the promises that they had initially launched the game with. Again, go out and check the facts for sure. I don't want to be steering people in the wrong direction, but I remember seeing a screenshot side by side and it looked as if they'd actually taken away the, uh, I think it was the Steam mod support section. I don't even know what to call that. It's just like I think it appears on the right-hand side in, like, a sidebar. It tells you the game has multiplayer support, uh, single-player support, blah, blah, blah. But I think that they had removed some of the things. So I guess my only parting thought on this conversation is some of these features may be easier to roll out than just removing it from the store as a promise, um, just being removed. I, I don't know. That feels a little bit shady to me. I don't like that, that you would ship it with something that people would buy it with that. And then in retrospect, you go back and, and uh, remove it. That seems very shady. Thoughts on that, Dan? Yeah, I don't, I, well, I just don't see why you would do it. You know, I, I doesn't, it doesn't seem like, um, like good customer interaction practice. Um, but it also just doesn't, I, I, I don't see much of the point to it. I mean, I think we've talked about this and I know that you talked to, um, to Wouter about this as well is why would they not roll it out more expansively or more extensively? So no, I, I agree with you, Kyle. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, <clears throat> pardon me, it's something I'm still going to look for. And if I find this thing, I will make it known. But uh, yeah, it's just, I, I don't know, especially, <laughs> it's hard to make this a non-political thing, but especially in these days where there's all these alt facts, please don't remove my Steam store page stuff. Just let, let Steam be a bastion of truth for one moment. We need them. What? So are you, are you trying to tell me that Steam is fake news, Kyle? It could be. It could be, but you know what's not fake news, Dan? If you go to our Steam group, which is Civcast, I promise you no fake news. In fact, there might not be a lot of news there, but what news is there is not fake. So go there. And the same, the same could be said about our Twitter. The same could be said about our Twitter, which is at Civ underscore cast, where uh, I need to get back into Twittering, but I've been uh, I've been a little bit, a little bit slow here. Um 
And and let's let's kind of we're, we've gone a little bit off the map here, but let's restructure this. Dan, do you want to tell us a bit about the Civcast challenge, and then we'll kind of talk a little bit more about what we've been playing and and some things like that. But we've taken a couple weeks off the Civcast challenge, and I want to reintroduce this to everyone. Um, I have some other news to put out later in the show. Um, I'm actually going to use some of our our. We're going to try something brand new with the Civcast challenge which is we're going to use some of the mailing lists that we put together. And I'm just going to send out a little notification email. If anyone finds this annoying, feel free to unsubscribe to it. But this isn't something I like to do often because it takes some work on my end. But just because we've taken time off the CivCast challenge, Dan's going to tell us all about it now. And then we're, everyone's going to get a little email that's like, hey, CivCast challenge, back up. Here's the date and here's the details. Go play it. Send us your pictures. But Dan, how about you tell people what they're actually going to be playing here? Sure. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, the Aztecs were rolled out to the complete game and to everyone, even those who did not pre-order this past week. Is that correct, Kyle? That's correct, yes. Good. Okay, because that is who we are going to roll out the Civcast Challenge with. Now, um, early game military is something that uh, people I've interacted with in the game tend to not focus on as much. It's something that the AI loves. Like the AI with early game military civs is an absolute animal and beast. Um, I'm not a huge prioritizer of early game military. I tend to like to, you know, play the game out and, and work towards uh, whatever. Uh, generally, I like prioritizing and focusing science and culture-based victories anyway and faith-based victories, so that doesn't require early game military. That being said, the Aztecs are certainly one of those civs whose benefits are inherently early game and inherently military-based. So I thought it would be fun to have a bit of, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, a bit of a battle of the gladiators, a bit of a pit battle between the uh, the six civs who we might call more of an early game domination-focused group. So with that in mind, and in the spirit of the Aztecs being uh, released to everyone, including those who might have picked the game up, whatever, around Christmas, mm-hmm. um, our civ for the CivCast Challenge is going to be the Aztecs. Uh, our map is going to be Pangea. Now, I haven't given Pangea as a map before. I'm not the biggest fan of it because it kind of um, it r- removes any of the bonuses you're going to get from a sieve that might have something water-based like mm-hmm. Norway or England or Spain. But that being said, I made sure that the six sieves that are involved in this are, are not water-based sieves. So Pangea, which is one large landmass surrounded by water and uh, some little islands out on the side. Uh, your victory type is going to be Domination. Uh, your difficulty is going to be Emperor. I think that was the difficulty that we settled on as being the best difficulty level for everyone, right? I think we did. And if we have anyone that disagrees, feel free to, to let us know. But I think it seemed um, from previous games that people were pretty much settled on Emperor. Okay, good. Um, and then there's one kind of addition. Well, the, the speed and the resource along and all that, we're going to keep as standard. We're going to keep as um, the normal standard speed. I debated doing like a quicker speed game or an online speed game, but I, we haven't done this in a while. So I thought that it might, um, it might make sense for us to, uh, to, just, to just roll out a standard one and get people more invested in kind of a, a longer game. Because really, frankly, with the domination play with the Aztecs, you might not get past like, you know, 200, 250 turns anyway. So. Oh, Wow. Well, I mean, that's optimistic, maybe, but but um, map size for this is small, so it's a six-player map. Uh, and then the caveat that we're including here, the kind of miscellaneous caveat, is that I am going to tell you 
who the five other AI based civilizations that you're going to be going against are because I wanted, like I said, I wanted to make this kind of a, you know, uh, almost like our own little Civcast scenario where you get the six strongest early game civs mm-hmm. um, and you try, because the AI is going to prioritize um, military early on for each of these civs. And so you'll have to do the same. And so you'll be duking it out from the get go with these um, five AI civs, which makes it kind of um, perfect in terms of, uh, you know, uh, synchronicity for a domination play. So, the five other civs that you are going to uh, play with, the five AI civs are uh, Scythia, Sumeria, Egypt, Greece as Gorgo, and Rome. So I will repeat that, and Kyle is definitely going to have it up on the uh, website, and you know we'll tweet about it and everything. But those five civs are Scythia with Tamiris, Sumeria with Brogamesh, Egypt with Cleopatra, Greece specifically with Gorgo, and Rome with uh, Trajan. So those are uh, the five AIs that you're going to go against in this game. They're the five strongest early game AIs to go alongside the Aztecs who you are playing. And do we have a time limit this thing's running till? Is this a one week thing, two weeks? When do you? When are we calling uh, quits to this? This are we? Zipcast are we channel? wanting? Are we wanting to expand the, the challenge into like a monthly thing? Is that? Does that seem like a? I a think good idea. so. I yeah. I, yeah. I let's do that. You know, let's at least try it. So this is a this is a good time period to do that. Um, yeah. Let's say you have until the last weekend of every month to do it. So the last like Sunday, basically. Well, it's better if you guys can do it by the last Saturday of the month, I'd guess. Um, yeah. Let's say that people need to turn in their final report on this Civcast challenge by the 25th of February. That is the last Saturday of the month. That way, on the 26th, Dan and I can give you a fair uh, assessment of who the winners are. Uh, so make sure that you're using the hashtag Civcast challenge on Twitter. Uh, tweet us some of your tweet us some of your intermediates in the game. Since now you have some more time, you can tweet us your progress along the way a bit more easily, and uh, make sure you definitely tweet us your end game screen showing what turn you you wound up on. But that again will be due uh, Saturday, February twenty fifth, and those details will be up on the website, like Dan said. Perfect. So yeah, I mean the goal here and the hope is that you get to spin out your own little um, ad hoc kind of scenario and have some fun with a, a game that's geared towards being action packed, fast paced. Maybe trying a sieve that you haven't tried yet because um, you didn't pre-order the game and they've just become unlocked for you. But um, we're hoping you have some fun with it. That you'll have some really cool stories of some. Uh, well, it's going to be all land-based battles, pretty much, with these guys. So, yeah, um, that's a that's a good group of uh, civilizations to have in there. I mean, they're really going to be your your angry type. I I can already oh, tell sure. Egypt. Uh, the denou- the den- denunciations I'm going to get from her are going to be frequent. Yeah, well- well, for sure. But if you look at it too, I mean, the just the, the unique the way that this plays into the unique units. I mean, you're going to have, you know, uh, the Marianu chariot archers squaring off with the eagle warriors, or you're going to have, you know, um, what is the Greek one? The the phalanx or the what the heck's it called? The hop 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 yeah. Hoplite, um, you know, squaring off with legions from Rome and the sack of horse archer, which is a favorite of ours. You know, going it's a, it'll be a lot of fun. Um, I haven't got to play many games with Sumeria involved, and particularly because in my games, when I have Sumeria in them, 
they seem to always fall off really early or get defeated really early. So I mean, I'm excited to see some of these war carts too. Cause oh, I've, yeah. heard, uh, I've heard they're, com- they're just total beasts and I don't think I've actually interacted with any of them in the game yet. So yeah, that's going to be very, very fun. Um, I kind of want to ask Dan, cause we, we, we jumped into the show in a, a little bit of a unique way. We typically do the, what we've been playing. And I think he kind of said you hadn't had much time. Did you, so Dan, is there any leaders that have been standing out to you lately that you've been playing? Well, I did, I had to go back to my old stalwart because I don't think that I had, in my one uh, Russia game that I had played, I don't think that I had given them enough attention. I don't think I'd given them enough time. And I love Russia in the Civ game. So I mm-hmm. uh, started started a new Russia game. Uh, the start bias, of course, placed me in Tundra-based tiles. I really wanted to lean into uh, their unique, or, or rather Peter's uh, unique leader ability, which is the Grand Embassy, as we've talked about at length, which is when uh, Russia receives science and culture from trade routes to more advanced sieves. So it was a, it was a fractal map, and there's eight sieves on it. So I, I want to make sure there's lots of sieves, so lots of opportunities for people to be far more advanced than uh-huh. me or whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so what I'm doing is I am focusing heavily on production and faith, um, which makes sense because if you think about it, uh, Russia gets the extra faith and production from Trunder Trials. So they kind of get an inherent bonus in that to begin with, particularly when paired with their uh, inherent start bias. So I'm leaning into that and I am going to like, I don't want to say ignore science and culture, um, but I'm not going to focus on them nearly as much as I generally would. Um, and I'm going to see if, I can effectively gather science and culture, enough science and culture from that trade-based bonus to kind of keep me afloat. Because, I mean, the, see, the historicity of this is just so great because this, this makes so much sense as it pertains to Russia, right? I mean, mm-hmm. a country that is, is you know, historically production-based and they've always, um, you know, well, certainly since the, uh, the Kiev and Rus uh, unification, they've been focused on uh, faith and their own particular brand of Christianity, but mm-hmm. they haven't exactly been scientifically or culturally advanced, certainly not until Peter the Great. Um, so I'm going to lean into that heavy. I'm going to see uh, on my doorstep right now is uh, China, which is perfect because they are, of course, uh, science focused. Oh, yeah. Um, Ooh, so yes. that's great. Yeah, so that's great. And then I also had uh, Poland is the other sieve that I've found. Poland is nearby, which... I guess worries me a bit because they're kind of, I mean, Russia gets that bonus where um, when they found cities, they gain extra territory. And of course, Poland is a territory gobbler, I guess you could say. Um, So I could definitely see myself uh, squaring off with Jaudiga there. And historically, I mean, Russia and Poland have always been at odds. So that would make sense too. So um, it's actually been, it's just been really fun. And I've been working on my, uh, production-based early prioritization, which I found, and Kyle, I don't know if you found this in the early game, but we've talked, of course, in the community always talks about the early game, mm-hmm. um, where the AI prioritizes aggression and prioritizes, you know, at least yes, once definitely. we get some kind, of, at least once you're going to get some kind of skirmish, to say nothing of barbarians who are always right um, seemingly on your doorstep. So what I've done, um, because I don't have to worry about science and I don't have to worry about culture and production is something you kind of grow into, is I've prioritized, um, uh, sorry, I've prioritized early game military units as kind of a way to uh, ensure that I can defend, but also that I can expand um, by going and, uh, so there's, what I'm trying to get at is there's that inherent um, 
that inherent bonus that you get uh, from the faith pantheon, which is when you clear barbarian outpost, oh, yeah. you get um, enhanced uh, production. Right? I can't remember what it's called, mm-hmm. but that yeah. If you could, if you want to look that up, yeah. with you, I'm talking about it. But I am like literally playing a style that is. And I re-rolled once in order to ensure that I kind of got this because I'm playing a style where my intention in the early game is to be very kind of bare bones with my military and just pump out slingers and pump out warriors and go and um, engage in as many kind of skirmishes as I can in order to build up the experience of this military, but also to kind of feed into this pantheon ability with the hopes that that'll allow me to start kind of snowballing the, the production of my uh, my cities and my sieve. I'm also going to roll up to uh, four cities really early on. I don't know about you, but I tend to find four cities to be kind of my sweet spot, no matter what sieve I'm using. Um, and I'm hoping to get there, you know, certainly pre-renaissance and hopefully as early as possible oh yeah that's that's an interesting one let's see i uh uh i'm looking through this you said as a pantheon faith here that you get you get points for clearing out a uh a barbarian encampment you said yeah i can just i can hear someone yelling at their yeah i'm sure there's tons of them just screaming out but i'm looking at this list here uh i'm not seeing that camp I don't know. Let yeah, let, well, I, I could try and look it up, but I guess... Oh, well, I'm plus 50 up. faith for each barbarian Initiation outpost cleared. Rights, yes. That's Initiation it. Rights. Boom! That's, we finally that's got it. Yeah, so... Uh, that's um, pretty cool. And as for yeah. a city sweet spot, I don't know where I've wound up. I think four... Four is a good one. Valter is really, really, really encouraging me to make as many cities as possible, which kind of shows me how... I'm finding that to be way harder to manage in this game. Once you get a ton of cities up and running, because there's no permanent thing that you can, like in Endgame, you can't just tell them to focus on producing money or um, whatever those projects were called in Civ Five. You know, now they're actually like completable projects that take yeah. five turns or something. Or if you're at Endgame, they might only take you one turn to complete, and then you're still constantly like refreshing them all and your attention needs to be on that city. So I don't know. I really would not mind um, some hands-off management coming back into it. I wouldn't mind if you could choose some alternatives like that at Endgame that just let you put the city on auto-manage and it takes care of itself. Because after you get past that sweet spot for your own sanity, you know, just it becomes like an extra thing to manage. And I don't know, it could drive you crazy. Yeah, the micromanaging aspects of it can definitely get um, to be, uh, I don't want to say pain in the ass, but they could definitely be, if you have more than like, you have more than four cities, which like I said, is kind of where I, 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 I stop generally in my games, four, and then I look to see if I can conquer them. But if you have more than four, I find just every turn is going to take you like five minutes because you're, oh, you know, this city needs this and this city needs this. So which one's my military city again? And which one's this? And like, so yeah, I, I get what Vouter's saying because, I mean, the more cities, the more that you're going to pump out. It, yep. it makes sense. And we no longer have, you know, uh, to worry about happiness going down because we have more cities and all that. Um, so really, it doesn't it doesn't hurt you inherently uh, to have more of them other than the fact that it just becomes a bit of a logistical nightmare. Correct. It really, really, really does. So maybe something that comes down the line for that. I mean, who knows? Again, if we had our modding support opened up, we might be able to have some people come up with solutions to stuff like that. But you are right. I've always wound up at the spot where 
I'll play these wide expansionist games where I just take other cities like crazy and I'll have a huge military force that's just massive and hard to manage and I wish that there was some sort of control to that in late game that made it a little less cumbersome. I did see someone, I didn't read the article, but on on Reddit I saw someone post um, something along the lines today of, I wish my units had a call home button or something that would like auto send them back to their capital or something like that is I'm I'm guessing what their point was. But I could see Didn't they used to have that in Age of Empires? Because you used to play Age of Empires back in the day, right? Did. I feel like they did have that. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, they did. You could yeah. do, you could uh, ring the town bell, and yes, all your workers bell. would go back oh, to yes. the the cities or castle or something, the yeah. town center. The town bell. Oh God! By the that. way, um, I have the the Age of Empires two remastered edition on Steam, and yeah. I've never played it. A friend bought it for me, and I never really. I think I played it maybe once for like five minutes. But they're still working on that game, and there's still expansions coming out for it. Yeah, I noticed. I was reading about that the other day on Wikipedia, and Is, that's really cool. Like they, because I always wondered if they were going to come out with a new Age of Empires game. Because certainly two was the pinnacle yes. of that series. Three um, felt very much like their their careers at that time. You know, it was it was a quick yeah. thrown together thing. You could tell the studio was closing soon. But three had a lot of things that I actually liked about it too. Um, they they were starting to dabble with real online play in like a serious yeah. way, and what that meant for your little port city. Do you remember? Did you play three? I did play three. Yeah, no, I mean. I, it wasn't the same. Like I, I adored Agreed. two, and I adored Age of Mythology as well. Oh, like same. a huge AOM fan. Um, three just felt like I don't know if I was at the wrong point in my life to play it too. Sometimes that's the case, but it mm-hmm. did not feel like it had the depth to it. It just didn't feel yeah. like it was as engaging. Totally agree. I think that came from them rushing the game. I think that at least that's how my brain explains that. I, mm. I do. I totally see the things that are lacking in, in Age of Empires 3, but I think at the same time, a lot of that just had to do with studio closures and, you know. Mm. I mean, we saw yeah. what a skeleton crew working on Beyond Earth kind of pumped out in this sense, so... They pumped out a skeleton. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like Age of Empires 3 was exactly that. I was considering picking up uh, Age of Mythology on, on Steam as well. Um, my friend and I had such a good time playing that that I thought about they buying it. Out, they pumped out an expansion for that not too long too, uh, which is based on uh, Chinese mythology. And I like, thought uh, so. Dra- dragon myths and things to that effect. Um, and by the way, happy uh, Lunar New Year to Chinese listeners if we have any. Oh, that's um, a good point. Yeah, uh, but yeah, they, they rolled out stuff for that. So props to them, man, for pumping stuff out and frankly for making money on a game that's like at this point what like 15 years old if we're talking about age of empires 2 like that is an old game dude. you're right okay so i googled age of mythology for example um and what i pulled up here was their initial release date was october 30th of 2002 um but they are rolling a nine out of ten on steam for their score But see, folks, do not, go, do not go comparing Civ 6 to that because Civ 6 is three months old. AOE 2 is, as Kyle just established, 15 years oh, old. Let's see. Right? Age of, uh, I'm going to look up Age of Empires 2 here. That was Age of Mythology. Let's see. Age of Empires 2 also has a 9 out of 10 on Steam and was released in September of 1999. This was one of my first computer games. It was this, The Sims, and Diablo 2 were like my first tentpole games in the gaming world. 
Oh, dude, 1999. Oh, that, that, oh my gosh. Yeah, no, this is, yeah, no, I thoroughly remember my sessions with AOE too and with the Conquerors and everything. And I'm actually just looking right now at the expansions they've pumped out. And certainly if there was one, you know, thing that, um, one of many things that Civ has always had on the Age of Empires game that I preferred is just the variety. But I'm looking at these recent um, uh, expansions that Age of Empires has pumped out, including one just on December 19th here. Oh and they've they've brought forward some really badass Civs. Like they have the Burmese, the Malays, wow. the Khmer, the Khmer, which is a Cambodian Civ, and the Vietnamese in like this most recent um, expansion that rolled out in December. So that's really cool actually that is may i put out one little warning though age of mythology uh age of mythology is apparently selling for 35 dollars all in like to buy their oh. their latest edition that is pretty pricey that's um, sorry that's guys crazy. you your game is awesome and i do really want it but um this even though we discouraged this in in previous game or previous episodes i'm gonna encourage people age of mythology is probably worth picking up on a uh on a steam deal <laughs> maybe because yeah. it's you know uh what do we say 2002 versus 2017 that's that's some big distance there 15 years uh in between the world has changed but yeah hey very yeah, positive though yeah, the town bell. But that was a little fun thing. I don't feel too bad uh, tangenting onto a game like this on this podcast wow. because wow. Age of Mythology, Age of Empires is absolutely one of the stepping stones that got me to Civilization. And in fact, I don't think to this point, and I'd love, um, Valter gave me some tips for other strategy games to check out, but I've never found the ideal strategy game that I wanted in my life, which in my brain is something, it's some sort of cross between Age of Empires and civilization i like that civ is a very top-down city building game and there's definitely combat but there's also something i miss about these little people just running around like you engaging them on almost a unit by unit basis um kyle did you ever play a game called rise of nations sounds super familiar i don't think so though let's see what the internet tells me no it was a game that came out in 2003, and what you're describing right now sounds a lot to me like Rise of Nations, what Rise of Nations almost was. Uh -huh. um, Brian Reynolds, who was one of the guys who, not Ryan Reynolds of Deadpool fame, but Brian <laughs> Reynolds, um, one of the guys who was the lead designer on Civ 2 and Alpha Centauri, he went and um, worked for this new company who pumped out Rise of Nations, which is actually a almost perfectly or was an almost perfectly executed amalgamation of all the good things about Civ and all the good things about Age of Empires. I remember playing that game into the ground in 2003 and 2004. Um, I just, it was really great from a UI and gameplay standpoint, but I remember that it felt kind of, it got tired really quick. Like got they didn't it. have a lot, they didn't have a lot um, of depth to it. It didn't have a lot of variety to it. Um, and then they pumped out um, an expansion, I think, which is called Rise of, I want to say Rise of Legends, I think, which was like a mythology-based one, which I wasn't a huge fan of. It was really like steampunky and stuff. Oh, yeah, I see that here. And Yeah, and it was... Um, yeah. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was not my cup of tea. So that one kind of fell off for me, but that was a game I remember feeling like that was the sweet spot between age of empires and civ wow um Mm -hmm. Well, as you can but, tell, everyone, we had a very slow uh, week of news here in the Civ land. No, so this, no, no, this is I, a good conversation about these. 
Well, I think that a lot of the, a lot of the folks who are probably listening to us are veterans of, of many different um, RTS games. So hearing this kind of stuff and hearing these shout outs probably are really getting them pumped. Another one that I loved back in the day was one called Sins of a Solar Empire. Oh, I was, had friends that played that. A, yeah, there was a 4X space-based one. I've always wanted to play a really good um, space-based RTS, and I felt like Sins was probably the closest I ever got. See, I uh, I have all these these huge wants and dreams. Like, I think my my probably my favorite video games are strategy games to a point. But the sad truth, what comes to crush my dreams, is that they just don't get the same funding that larger big box titles do. Like a uh, let's go shoot 'em up sort of. Um, why am I drawing? Call of Duty. Thank you. Call of Duty. I, I almost said yeah, Company of Heroes over and over again. That stopped myself. No, but that's 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 your baby, though. Company. Yeah, yeah, but like a like a. Call of Duty sort of thing gets tons of money to go do this. And then all these awesome little strategy games that grow, you know, they're stuck with these smaller budgets because I just don't think they have the same audience. And what ends up happening is you see these great unrealized dreams of how, you know, I, I do want a great uh, space 4X game again. Um, I was really digging that. Um, they had a, there was a Star Wars, a, a Star Wars... Something like Empire, Empire at Empire War. At War. Empire Thank at War. you. Wow, you are my second brain today. <laughs> Loved okay. Empire at War. My friend and I modded the hell out of it because there was tons of mod support. Mm. And well, not by the studio, but people, you know, after many sure. years broke through. Sure. Um, but the final, the finishing blow to it was that they knocked off the uh, the multiplayer servers and Steam didn't reestablish any. So now we just cannot play the game together, period. Um oh, which is a bummer. You know, these are the sort of games that that have a lot of imagination to them and could really go far. I just wish that, I don't know, I wish that there was a, a system out there that really allowed us to give back to these games a little bit better. And um, strategy games also tend not to lend themselves to as much as the freemium model, which I think is good. I don't really love freemium, but um, I don't know. I, I, I Looking at these ones, this Rise of Legends, and uh, these, these all look great. Um, maybe we'll have to do some sort of, uh, multiplayer, like Twitch or YouTube gaming sort of thing where we play Age of Empires someday. That'd be fun. That'd be fun too. And one last shout out, um, when you talk about, uh, space based was, I have a friend who's really into paradoxes, um, paradox who makes, uh, Europa Universalis uh -huh. series. They have, um, a space based, uh, grand strategy game out right now called Stellaris, um, which I know is on Steam right now and which is still in like mid-dev cycle. So they're still supporting it and everything. And they say that one's really good. So maybe if you're looking for a space-based one um, and you can put up with the complexity of grand strategy, Stellaris might be one to look at. That could be interesting. Yeah, it was only released uh, last year, 2016, May 9th of 2016. So that's still pretty, pretty new. Cool. cool. I like it. I like it. Oh, I'm also getting some weird uh, echo from your end, but I think we're good there. Um, okay, so everyone, we're going to kind of work to wrap this episode up. We had some fun times chatting here. There are, uh, I think, one or two bits of news I wanted to throw out here, uh, which is highly related to our talk about um, this kind of mod support and such, which if anyone that's been playing multiplayer games of Civ Six, if you got it and your friend tried to get it on Mac and you're on PC, uh, I think Valtra and I talked about this last week. I did want to chime in and finish that conversation by saying that we do know for sure that Mac, um, you're, if you're on a Mac, you're not going to be running the same version as Windows, which is going to give you a bit of a uh, compatibility issue and deny you from playing together. So, 
if you know a Mac uh, Mac runner that's trying to buy the game as well, you know, put that forewarning out there that you two will not be able to have multiplayer as easily. Um, one thing that I saw on Reddit a shout out for was give us a way to control which version of Civ we're going to run when we play multiplayer, which really would just be a stopgap measure. I mean, it would work fine, but it's kind of also sad that we're at that point where we would just want to lock in our version because we know that Mac's going to get updated later. Um, just want to throw that one out there. I did also want to throw out a little bit of a mod thing I saw on there. I don't have the name of this mod, but someone was running a a post that talked about some unique uh, unique districts that they had thrown into the game. Um, so maybe check out that sort of post. I think this mod is out there. I think someone in the in the comments here said that they were playing it, but the name I didn't see included. I just thought it was interesting and and something worth mentioning that they were thinking of putting in a butcher's corner, a fishery, mason's corner, smith's corner, uh, government center, medical center, all kinds of different um, different districts. That's something that we've always thrown around on the show here, what you'd like to have added. So uh, I'm going to try and keep my eyes open and look for more details on this mod. If I find out what it is, I will go ahead and put that on our Twitter page. Um, but please, if you guys have any mods you want to give shout outs to or whatever, we love listener feedback. You can send that to civcastpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to get more of your feedback on the show. Um, we had some awesome write-ins last time Dan was on, so that's been great. Uh, we went ahead and addressed those. I kind of want to, before we swing into your, your, your Civ of the Week here, Dan, I want to throw out a question to people and ask what wonder would you like to have added to the game and why? And this could be a wonder from any of the past Civ games. It could be even beyond Earth. I don't care. Let's get uh, creative here. It could be a past Civ game or it could be, you know, real life, whatever they have not included yet. What is one wonder you would like to see added to Civ 6 and why? What sort of abilities would that have? Like I said, the, the email is uh, civcastpodcast at gmail.com. Just shoot us a note. Uh, but Dan, do you want to take it away and tell us a little bit about uh, your Civ of the Week? Yeah, let's talk a bit about the Aztecs, Kyle. Have you had the opportunity to play them yet? I have indeed, and I'm mixed. You're mixed. Okay, what part of it? Because, I mean, I haven't had the chance to play them yet, but I have, I mean, in order to get kind of the Civ of the Week down here, I have read up a fair amount about them, and I do kind of look at their bonuses and their um, building, and kind of it kind of seems a bit all over the place. Um, yeah. So their leader bonus uh, is Gifts for the Tlatwani, and I probably Tlata, pronouncing that Tlata, wrong, but that's okay. Our pronunciation, like our pronunciation, this game sucks, Tlata right? <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's that's when you have luxury resources in a territory providing amenity to two extra cities. And I guess when I look at that, I'm not quite sure how that works on like a like a direct like how does that directly affect affect me kyle do you do you know off the top of your head when it says luxury resources in the territory providing an amenity to two extra cities what does that mean so are those two cities your like amenities are locked that they can only you can only share one amenity over three cities if my memory serves um mm. so if you get t t will apply as an amenity to your first three cities, though it auto-manages this in the background. Um, okay. But what that would mean is that T would then also be an amenity to two additional cities. Okay. Okay, that makes sense then. I, I sort of get what that's saying. Yeah. So they, they're clearly based around luxury resources because the second part of Gifts for the Tlatelani is that uh, military units receive plus one combat strength for each different luxury resource improved in Aztec lands. And so when you are playing the Civcast Challenge this week, 
you better hope that you have a luxury resource um, treasure trove basically in your territory. Because if you do, get builders working on those quickly, get them improved, and then you will gain a serious amount of combat strength through your early game units. So in that sense, that makes sense to me. Yes. Like, I, I, can, I can support that as, as a functional um, and useful aspect of the uh, leader bonus, but one that you know, might not actually really work for you if you don't have much in the way of luxury resources. And, and I think it's supposed to encourage you to, to, you know, go out and steal those luxury resources. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, go out and take other people's. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, taking a look at the, the uh, Tlachli, which is their, uh, their classical era based unique building. It, at first blush, it kind of looks like it's all over the place. So it's effect. It's a really cool looking building, by the way, it's effects. Um, are you get plus one amenity from entertainment, plus two faith, and plus one great general point per turn. Mm-hmm. Um, this this replaces the arena, by the way. So it's it's uh, it is a building that is built in the entertainment complex district. So that's important to note. Um, the technology that you have to research in order to get it is games and rec. So at first you look at that and it feels like. Um, it's, it's a bit lackluster, maybe a bit all over the place. But I really think that inherently that seems to feed into kind of their more aggressive nature. Um, just the fact that you get great general points for it and you're getting great general points so early in the game, plus one great general point per turn, is going to hugely benefit um, early game military pushes. Because as we know, great generals are... I've always felt that great generals are a complete necessity if you're going to be um, trying any sort of imperial expansion. Just having them in your military and the combat bonuses you get with them is so necessary. Um, and the amenities bonus is going to be great because you're going to be able to spread that if you start expanding. That's going to be highly beneficial for you. So at first, it might look like something that's kind of all over the place. I mean, it helps faith. It gives you an amenity. It gives you a great general point. Those don't always have synchronicity. But it does seem to feed into the inherent play style of the Aztecs. So in that sense, I, uh, I really like it. Yeah, so I have a, uh, a personal and a professional issue with the Aztecs here. Uh, personal being that they were a culture that rose and fell pretty quickly in the timeline there. You know, they're still, they're not a modern uh, civilization to this date. So I have a bit of a hard time with some of those civs seeing them hit the modern era just because it's some sort of disconnect in your brain. Um, but then my professional issue, so I'm going to call it, is that they are... I, I don't know. They're supposed to be like an aggressive sieve that's going out and attacking and bringing things back home. But really, when you add up all their bonuses, we see stronger military sieves out there. So I'm not really sure um, what exactly it is. You know, they can use their builder to build districts faster. They can use their eagle warrior to capture um, enemies and make them into builders, which I get the whole slave relation thing there. But Still, something about the Aztecs does not feel solid, and it doesn't really jive for me personally. No, that's fair enough. I, I hear what you're saying. Um, my historical minute was going to be about the Aztecs. Please, actually. I it's love gonna be, It's going to be a quick one. Yeah, it's going to be a quick one, but they have a fascinating history. And actually, um, the Aztec leader in this game is Montezuma I, and it's important to make the distinction between Montezuma I and Montezuma II, because Montezuma I is actually a very um, well-respected well-liked and historically relevant leader. I mean, he 
expanded the Aztec Empire to its zenith. I mean, you can find some fantastic maps online that talk about how he was the reason the Aztec Empire really became what it was. It was a regional power before him. And then he came in as um, the leader. And he ruled actually for a long period of time. Um, I don't have in front of me the exact, I think it was like like 30 years or something like that. Um, but he managed to expand the Aztec Empire through military conquest, yes, but also through diplomatic and economic relationship building. And in that sense, he's really well looked upon. Montezuma II is the guy who presided over the fall of the Aztec Empire. Mm -hmm. He's the guy that um, Hernan Cortes and the Spanish uh, manipulated and a guy who was really kind of historically seen as weak-willed and unable to defend what was a pretty um, significant civilization at the time. Of course, that might be a, an accidental function of history. I mean, the poor guy just happened to be in the way of the Spanish and of the disease they brought over, really. Yeah. And it might not have had anything to do with him. But one last kind of fact here as part of the historical minute, Montezuma, the name Montezuma, which in um, the Aztec language is present, uh, pronounced with a C instead of the N, so it's more like Moctezuma. Um, I, again, which pronunciation, I'm probably getting terrible, but who the heck speaks Aztec? Nahuatl. Uh, it's my, I, one of my goals to learn Nahuatl someday. I don't think I'll ever do it because it's very you know complex and not that many people yeah. teach it, but yeah. it's still spoken live language, so yeah. it's, to it's, the Nahuatl speakers. Okay. I did not know that actually. So that's that's good to know. Nawadal, interesting. Yep, okay. you can you can go but, down the, the 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 subsidiary like the groups that you know fled from the disaster. You know, continue to speak it. So it's more of like a traditional language. Oh, very cool. But I do know that in Nawadal, uh, the name Moctezuma means the Lord who frowns nobly. Ooh. So you have to think of a, 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 so they're saying in his name that he is the emperor who frowns, but who frowns in a noble manner. So you see a, you see a really angry yet noble uh, Moctezuma. And certainly that's how he's represented in the game. I am glad they use Montezuma the first instead of Montezuma the second, because, well, if it was Montezuma the second, he would just be rolled over quite easily, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No good there. Yeah, but yeah, so that's the minute. Uh, so glad you touched on the Aztecs, Dan. I They're one of my favorite. Um, that's funny that I, and maybe that's probably why I don't like them as much in the game, is I love them in real life. I think their culture is fascinating, and I think it's kind of a, tra or a definite tragedy what happened to them in the way that it happened. So, well, and you talk it. about you talked about the historical aspect of it too, and yeah, it would be weird to see um, an atomic age Tenochtitlan, right? Right, <laughs> right. It would be weird to see the Eiffel Tower in Tenochtitlan. The last thing they were perfecting was floating farms, let alone uh, yeah. launching yeah. rockets into space. But aside from that, yeah, let's let's dive in here to our our last parting remarks. Um, I want to let everyone know that we are we officially yesterday. Dan doesn't even know this. Uh, we switched hosting providers which um, should be a very good thing for the podcast in the long run. It reduces the price of keeping up with it, and it also allows me to produce more podcasts without having to pay additional $10 a month price tags on every single one. So it, it kind of frees us to be a little bit more creative. Who knows, if we ever wanted to do a, uh, a very brief like micro podcast on uh, Age of Empires, we could do that if we felt like it. You don't know. Um, yeah. So want to let everyone know what that does mean for listeners is it means you should not have any problem getting the episodes. But if for some reason you would not be getting one of these, you can unsubscribe from the show and just search it in the uh, in your app again and resubscribe and it should get the exact you know point that we left off. Um, 
in terms of your episode downloads. So again, it shouldn't affect you, but if for some reason you would notice a week that doesn't have an episode, and it should, uh, going forward from now, you know the simple solution. Just unsubscribe, resubscribe, you'll be back at it. Uh, again, we're going to send out this little newsletter today to those that we have email addresses for, and it's going to address that in there, that being the point. We want to pe- no, want people to know that the Civcast Challenge is back, and we want people to know that the podcast is running, in case you're not getting it. I wanted to give a big shout out to our latest Patreon subscriber, Christopher. I'm not giving out any last names on this, um, but uh, Christopher, thank you so much for subscribing. If you are thank interested you. in helping out the show, that is patreon.com backslash backslash Civcast, if I can speak today. Uh, anything you donate helps. It can be as small as a dollar a month. It could be $5 a month. There's there's all kinds of plans over there. You guys go check it out. Anything you give is a donation that really, really helps us pay for this podcast hosting and website hosting. So um, the more you guys help out, the more the more energy and uh, effort we can put into advancing these techs and the setups that we have. So uh, if you're looking for anything related to the show, that is kyledempsterstudios.com backslash Civcast. It's going to give you the link to the Patreon that I just told you about. It's going to give you a uh, nice little form there at the bottom of the page that you can uh, submit any comments you have. Oh, guess what? It also has the Civcast Challenge information there. So kyledempsterstudios.com backslash Civcast is your home to all of our stuff. Uh, I am over at Twitter at kyledempster7. We've got Dan there at DanTheMax. And we've got the show at Civ underscore cast. So make sure to follow that for some updates. Head over to our iTunes page and leave us a five-star review there. We always love those and love to call them out on the show. And if you want to do us the biggest favor in the world, you can share this show with other friends uh, that you have that love strategy games and the like. And that's going to do it for us this week. Make sure you tune in next week as we get a new episode up here on the feed. Dan, any parting remarks from you? People go outside and take a walk, take in the fresh air, take a deep breath stay off of news websites for as much as you can over the next weeks. The world ain't going anywhere. Don't stress yourself out too much. Yeah, we want to leave everyone with the idea that, you know, go relax, uh, enjoy. Don't don't let your, like, I think Dan said it best. So just relax, go outside, take a walk. And until next week, everyone, just one more turn. You're listening to the Kyle Dempster Studios Network. For more shows like this, visit kyledempsterstudios.com.